Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It begins with excitement and ends at the edge of your seat. This arrived from Gibraltar. It was found near W4's body. Death to spies, Minister. That girl must be very talented. Shooter. Believe me, my interest in her is purely professional. the living daylights out of her. Timothy Dalton is James Bond 007 in the living daylights. Hello and welcome to Smirchpod Royale, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films by those who enjoy, hate or are asked about them, hosted by me, John Rain. This week we'll be learning to identify one end of a cello from another while having a few optional extras installed at the height of the Cold War. Yes, it's the living daylights, and joining me to smear some spionum is journalist, broadcaster and queen, Samira Ahmed, who can be found <laughs> on Twitter as at Samira Ahmed UK. Welcome back. Thank hey. you so much for coming Oh, back. thank you for having me. You know, I realised two things just in your introduction. Hmm. One, um, smear spionum was a catchphrase between me and my sister. Was it? Yeah, we used to just say it to each other and write it and sign things off. Um, and I did briefly take up the cello when I was about 40, and I realised now subconsciously... It must have been because of this film. Because you wanted to sail down a mountain on it. Yeah, that's exactly why. <laughs> that's exactly why you did it. So you were very keen to do this one. Yeah, well, you know, although it's not the first one I saw in the cinema, it's, it's, it is kind of my, my bond. 1987, I mm. was in finishing my first year at university. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this. And, oh, my God, there's so many things. And I remember going to Vienna two years later when I finished my degree and went into railing around Austria and Germany. And... I know I deliberately went to Vienna because of the romantic portrayal of it and the Prater Park yes. in the film. And I got there. And I said, it's like most fun fairs, it's really quite sleazy mm. <laughs> and scuzzy. Um, but that's, you know, it just, it was an incredibly romantic film. And I've, I've watched it whenever it turns up on ITV2 and I re-watched it this week. And I just remembered how polished and elegant a film it is. And it's a proper romantic adventure. Yes, because it's uh, unusual for that time because Bond only really has one love interest 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I can say from remembering living through that time, you know, we were terrified of AIDS in mm. the um, late 1980s. I remember going up to university in 1986 and they gave us this blue book, which was about your welfare. And most of it was just about different forms of contraception. Not, And it was funny because, you know, pregnancy had always been this big fear, yes. especially for teenage girls. But, but AIDS was just, because it was still not really understood and it did, I don't think there was anything like... Um, you know, treatments that felt like they would save your life. So I feel my generation basically um, lived in fear of dying and condoms. I mean, I still feel, I don't understand why people don't use condoms when like, it's really easy, but that's another, that's me that's being turning our, into my auntie other mode. Podcast. That's yeah. my other podcast, <laughs> which no one will ever want me on. Um, but the whole idea of not having huge amounts of promiscuous sex, mm. I just think it was very interesting. The film doesn't make a thing of it, no. but it's very noticeable if you went to see a Bond film compared to seeing one in the 60s. Yeah, because he, ha he, he has relations with the lady at the beginning on the boat. Or, or oh, well, you know. I mean, he said, he did say two hours, actually. What the hell would you be doing? That was quite a long time. Maybe they watched a film. You know what I was thinking at the beginning of the He's just watched two of his comrades die. Yeah. Something's seriously wrong. And he's going to wait two hours before he bothers to turn up to report it. That not, that's him. not how it's going to work, is it? Well, it just seemed a little bit unprofessional. Well, it does. I mean, I, I'm assuming they have to come and get the bodies and take them away as well. And he's going to have to give some sort of witness statement. Well, so he doesn't even know exactly what's happened other than something really badly, bad has happened. He almost blames a monkey at one point. I'd quite like to point out that the Sunday Times at the time, under the editorship of Andrew Neil, did seem obsessed with insisting and publishing strange stories claiming that HIV couldn't be passed on through heterosexual sex. And so it was particularly good that James Bond just quietly got on with showing how you could just deal with it and not make a, not assume it didn't affect you. No, absolutely. I wonder how, actually, it'd be interesting to know how many people noticed that. I don't know. Like you say, it was so prevalent at the time. I remember even Grange Hill getting involved in it. Not everybody getting AIDS, but it being a storyline about someone... I think someone had HIV. Well, EastEnders, of course, got involved. Mark Fowler. Oh, yeah. He got AIDS. Anyway. <laughs> what I like about this is this... this a glamorous digression. A glamour, well, AIDS is always a glamorous digression, apart from... EastEnders, I meant. Oh. Oh, yeah. That's always glamorous. <laughs> sun-kissed Albert Square. Um, as a child, I was 10 years old when this came out. Oh, yeah. And I was so excited because I didn't really realise there was a new Bond until I'd seen some clip of it on a Saturday morning show or something. And then when I went, I fell perfectly for the trick. I like the trick at the beginning because they throw loads of double O's out of a plane. And I think they're having a little thing about whether you know if it's, which one's going to be actually James Bond. And it's only when you see Dalton and he gets that beautiful close-up. That's, is that when he's looking over his shoulder? Yeah, when the man falls off the cliff, yeah. the man who's been spionned. What I like is it plays with the whole milk tray idea, doesn't it? It you does. Know, they're parachuting, um, and then it does something quite dark with it. Stanley Baker's son's in it as well. As what? He's the first one who gets pa uh, paintballed as he oh. comes. It's Glyn Baker. See, and they see, again, they're just such great ideas. It has this whole idea of, you know, the, Brit the British sense of military fair play. One says, oh, stop, you're dead because yeah. you've been paintballed. But also all the imperial locations. I have a whole thesis that this film is basically a deliberate play on, you know, the decline of British imperial power. So it's Afghanistan, you know, Pakistan, Gibraltar. Yeah, and, we, and Waterloo gets mentioned as well, all the British yes. imperial battles. And, and there's and a whole thing about, you know, war... That, that sort of obsessive masculinity. Because I think people were disappointed with the finale, but actually it's such a brilliant takedown 
of that whole military obsession, especially when you think it's only three years before the first Gulf War, when all those yeah. news journalists got obsessed with having sand. Remember the sand pit on Newsnight? And yes. they shuffle stuff around, and there was that whole fake glamour that news correspondents loved about war. It's, it, it seems obscene Kate now. in her scarf and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm not. Well, don't think I like Kate Adie actually, because it's actually the guys all there. You know, that oh. Sandy Gall and all the others. Great were lady, of, Kate Adie. Yeah, she is great lady, but all mm. going with their flat jackets. It was a particularly mm. butch thing amongst some of the boys. Bell. Yeah, um, and I just think 1990 there was a bit of gung ho, um, sort of imperial. It's too much. When you think that Brad Whitaker is very sort of representative of America as a, in, as a whole. And it's I'm, also representative if you think about post the Iraq invasion. Mm. You know, the whole Blackwater, all the kind of yeah. guns going in. Um, in a way, this film is actually setting out stuff which all became more apparent down and the line. Schwarzkopf is Norman, Storm and Norman. Storm and Norman. Very sort of familiar in terms of how Brad Whitaker looks and behaved. Yeah, and the whole, I mean, Trump is obviously, a, you know, a draft dodger. Yes. But, um, you know, the whole thing that emerges about Whitaker is, of course, he was, he was thrown out of West Point. He never That's actually right. qualified no. as a as an officer, so fake it's all general. that kind of fake general and that fake militarism, which is very reminiscent of Trump, isn't it? Mm. And indeed Bush, Bush um, Jr. Yes, W. <coughs> w, who mm. um, he got some very cosy secondment. So wasn't he like um, in the Home Guard, I think he was, during yeah. the um, during Vietnam. And sort of flunked out of everything, pretty much. But that's the American dream. If you're rich, yeah. you can be president. And it was, um, it's Forbes magazine's owner... It was, it was based on, one, it was partly from his villa. Oh, All right. those models, he mm. actually did make those dioramas and collected them. Really? Yeah, there's a photograph of him in the, you know, I've got the living, making of the Living Daylights book. Yep. And if you look at the end credits of the film, it thanks Forbes magazine. Oh, wow. And so they basically lifted this idea from the guy who was letting them film in his villa. That's really interesting. Interesting, isn't it? Yes, it is. But what I like about this is that um, a lot of people weren't ready for Timothy Dalton, I don't think. You know, the more I think about this film, it's sort of it's almost made out of it, out of time mm. because it holds up really well. But actually, think about what the '80s was, and it was actually pretty um, tacky decade in many ways. Yeah. And I don't know how this film manages to avoid that because I think we talked about it when we did Never Say Never Again. I think we did, you know, yeah. the casino just looks really sleazy and scuzzy, mm. um, and that would have been two years earlier. Eighty-three. Oh, it's about four, yeah, four so years four, four years earlier. Yeah. This, I mean, admittedly, it doesn't have a casino scene. No. But it, it manages to look classy, despite the fact that all the traditional trappings of Bond's world, like the casino, um, had become really gaudy and yuppified and yes. actually quite unpleasant. And what this film still manages to have a, she a sheen of genuine glamour yeah. and romance and the whole third man referencing as well. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Also, you've got the AC's action boom going on in the background, so this is looking fairly stuffy and starchy compared to that. Although the action sequences, especially the big fight on the plane, is really holds its own. I think it's a film that has its own, uh, holds its nerve, actually, yeah. and has and dares to be a proper story, quite romantic and, and good storytelling. And it, it is amazing how everyone speaks so positively about the experience. Like Timothy Dalton claimed to have worked with 30 directors by then, but mm. John Glenn was the greatest one he'd worked oh, wow. with. And um, they all seemed to have had a really professionally good time on it. Mm. Like they all feel it was really good work. You know, it doesn't feel like Timothy Dalton walked away and felt, I hated Bond and I'm embarrassed by that association. No. There's all kinds of reasons why the relationship didn't work out in the end. But he was Paul Bearer at um, Cubby Broccoli's funeral. I just funeral. saw in your amazing book you brought in. I know. The Making of the Living Daylights. It's got a very nice picture. I know, I've really wanted to buy that for ages, and I will now. 
Look at his stance. So the cover of this book has got him doing the gun barrel shot. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I mean, I don't, I don't you don't need another woman. Just un, I'm lost for words to describe this man and the effect he has on women. But there's something particularly balletic, and it's, a, it's an a- actor's athleticism about the way he holds himself. Yes. Very nice. Oh, he's brilliant. Real Shakespearean something he brings to it. Well, he's my favourite, as I've said many times on this podcast. Oh, before, is he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think really he's the best. Even though I'm, I'm very fond of George Lazenby, who approaches it in a very different kind of casual way, almost like mm. a throwaway way. And that works too. Yeah. Um, I'm interested that... Um, Dalton is invested so much, which is why when you do ask me at the end who I think should be the next Bond, it's definitely someone in the Dalton Ooh, vein. We'll save that for later. Save that. Teaser. Well, I think it's interesting that um, a lot of people will say that Daniel Craig is the best Bond. Who? Who says that? People do. People. People think Skyfall's the best Bond oh, film as well. Sake. I know. Um, but they will have. They have no time for Daniel uh, for Timothy Dalton. I think that's crazy because he's basically playing Daniel Craig in these films. Uh, I mean the same. I am lost for words now. The mold of it, I mean, because I feel like, you know, the end of Back to the Future. Which one? The first, the first one. one. Martin McFly plays this solo. Yes. He starts playing normal rock and roll, and then he goes a bit mad and starts mm. playing this crazy solo, and everybody freaks out. Yeah. And he says, "I guess you're not ready for this now, but your kids are going to love it." That's how I feel about Dalton because everyone's going crazy when Craig comes along and runs through walls, headbutts people, and that. But Dalton was trying to do that. 20 he was, years before, but also he did it with. Before. I mean. The thing is, Daniel Craig's a really thoughtful, intelligent actor. Yes. But there's something about Dalton's intelligence which just comes through at yeah. a different intensity. He's the thinking woman and thinking man's bond. Intensity is the word as well. There's so much going on under the surface yeah. in Dalton. Even scenes where he's just standing there. He smokes a lot in this as well. Now, I, I know some people said, because um, I, I canvassed a bit of opinion on this film, and one of the things some people said was, oh, I love that he smokes because it's like so rebellious. And you think, I can't. Mm. I can't get that excited. And funnily enough, I can't even remember the smoking in this film. He smokes a lot. With the, the bit where he brings the hamper, he's smoking all the way through that scene. Is he? Yeah. What is actually seeing puffing? I suppose you do just see holding him puffing. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? And in *License to Kill*, he smokes as well. Oh, I'm disappointed. Are you? Don't, well, it's a man of his time. Everyone smoked then. No, they did not by the not by the mid eighties. I was remember going on, on the trains decline. when I was a child, and everyone was smoking. On All it takes is one person in that one compartment to smoke, and the whole thing fills up. Mm. But I think it's interesting that I don't even remember the smoking. It's weird to remember people smoked all the time. Right? I do remember people smoking in general because I can remember at university there'd be a big thing about people trying to smoke cigars. Really? Yeah. Where not did you me. go to university? Oxford. <sighs> Sorry, I wasn't attempting to drop it as a thing. But actually, the one thing I will say, nineteen eighty-seven. Another reason why I'm stunned at how good this film looks and how. He looks so good in a black tie. You know, I was at Oxford in 1987 with the likes of David Cameron and Jeremy Hunt and all the rest of them. And it was a hideous. See, everyone used to dress up in those black ties with cummerbunds. And it just it was actually... Benedict Cumberbatch was there. Not, no, what did I say? I didn't mean him. No, sorry, I was making a terrible joke. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm always a bit slow about your brilliant puns. Um, but it was, it, was the mid, it was the mid-80s. So there were a lot of... People who are now in government. Michael Gove was there. And they, did, they all just dressed this way all the time. And it wasn't... None of them look like James Bond, but no, everyone they thought they did. There's that picture of them all sat on the steps, isn't there, of there? Oh, that's the Bullingdon Club. Bullingdon Club. Slightly different with a white tie. That's a white tie. But anyway, it was, it was, not, a, it was not a tasteful decade. It, no. Between the, the post-brideshead dressing up in boaters and the, the tux thing, it was not nice. And so, again, this film just stands out because it manages to look classy in spite of the way people are actually using it. I should say... You know, the big shoulder thing, to be fair to... It's not just like off what men look like. You know, she has that hideous outfit she wears when he buys it from the shop with yeah. the massive shoulders. Yeah. 
We all did well. I think we took massive shoulders then. It's not. It's, it's nothing I'm proud of. It was a dynasty thing, thing as well, wasn't it, at the time? What? Dynasty. Yes. Everyone in dynasty. I'm not sure we were trying to, to look quite like oil tycoon type things, but it was just the power shoulder was very big, and I had a Laura Ashley ball gown that I wore to the 1987 Valentine ball, which had giant Lego mutton sleeves. Lego mutton. You know, like they look like, if you imagine a giant leg of lamb, right. it's a phrase, a I Lego you said mutton. Lego. Like you had <laughs> bits of Lego on your. I wouldn't put it past the 80s to have Lego on your clothes. I'm surprised it isn't more Laura Ashley, actually, in um, 80s Bond. Fizzle was a bit in View to a Kill, wasn't there? At the yeah. races. Yeah. Um, but this feels like a, a, a weird bridge, I think, because this film has a checkered history in terms of who was going to be Bond, because it's a well-known fact that Piers Brosnan literally signed on the dotted line yeah, and, and couldn't do it. him around his 11th hour as well. He's like literally in his hotel room, excited about being James Bond, then gets a phone call from Remington Steele saying we're going to do another season. And then they cancelled it after only a few episodes? That's right. That's so horrible. So that's why he went and did Teffin and had a mild breakdown. Um, it all connects. It all connects. But then Dalton comes in, who they wanted anyway, years before, and he couldn't do it because he was doing Brenda Starr with um, Blue Lagoon Lady. Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields. You know, I've not seen all those weird films he's made. I've not seen Sextet either. When I used to have, have someone I really liked, like my, when I was a kid, my heroes were like Han, uh, Harrison Ford, Timothy Dalton, Christopher Reeve. So I'd make oh, sure I'd watch nice. all of their stuff. Yeah. I've even seen films like Hawks. All Dalton's ra- random films he did. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was about men dying in hospital. Who go off on an adventure, which was based on an idea. Oh, but I should save this for that podcast, but it's based on an idea from Maurice Gibb, <laughs> of all people. Um, or Barry Gibb, one of the two. Um, but, yeah, it feels like a bridge because th- there's bits in this that feel like it could be from a Roger Moore film. But there's also hard-edged bits that feel like they're going into License to Kill. And when you get to License to Kill, it feels 100% Tim. But he's given dialogue in this that you can see he's not comfortable with. No, so that's the one thing which I find quite sweet for an actor who's used to delivering Shakespearean dialogue. He can't do the the quips. No. So salt corrosion was another catchphrase that my sister and I would throw at each other at an awkward moment. Yeah, same. Oh, God, how many takes would you have taken to do that? That was the best one. Also, I think the the better make that two doesn't work when he says it. He, oh, says ex- he says, exercise controls to 007. I'll report in an hour. She says, won't you join me? He says, better make that a two. <laughs> he says it in a really weird way. <laughs> that feels like he didn't, you know, because he's doing that smile as well. And, and I always get the impression Tim doesn't like smiling very much anyway. Um, I think he does him lovely smiling. I see some of the reviews really mean, saying, oh, you know, he hardly smiles. When he smiles, when it's he's in love, really he smiles lovely. Really exactly. Did you just call me a horse's ass? That bit. I know. Yeah. Oh, we love Tim. But yeah, the, 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 the whole optional extras installed bit, he just doesn't seem very comfortable with all the gadgetry and everything. I, thought, I know he wasn't keen on that. They reuse it a lot. I mean, that key ring gets a lot of, lot of use. Especially with the Scouse guard. Oh, yes. Who actually doesn't look... You, know, you can tell he's, a, he's, he's English. Yeah. He's got a Scouse accent. What's his name? I don't know. Something Sharrock? I don't know. He's like, I did not tell you to get up. I did not tell... And, and he sounds like he's supposed to be South African. I think he's supposed to be Russian. I know he's supposed to be Russian, yeah. but he says, and I did not tell you to get down, yeah. or something like that. He's terrible. Are we going to jump around, or do you want to have any kind of chronology? I don't know. Should we just jump around? We can jump around. What do you um, think? So, what am I, let's look at my notes. Yeah. So, I think a lot of foreign correspondents like this film, and I'm fascinated because of the geopolitics of it, yeah. which we know that the writers you know, were quite 
um, obsessed with the very romanticized view of the Mujahideen at the time, yes. who were seen as these resistance to um, you know the Soviet invaders. And it, you know, it had been well by the time the film comes out, it's been eight years since the Soviet invasion, and of course. It was these were what would become the Taliban, and they were funded by the CIA. And of course, it's that whole thing of um, reaping the what is it? I don't know. Sowing, sowing the whirlwind. Reaping, reaping the sow- whirlwind. Yeah, and Rambo Three. <laughs> have you seen that? No. Look at me. Have I seen Rambo Three? But Rambo's on the side of the Mujahideen in that, and at the end in the credits it says dedicated to the brave people of the uh, Mujahideen. But having said that. Um, on its own terms, it's it's quite reasonable because at the time that was the view. The only thing that disturbs me is when they've worked out that um, the lovely Art Malik, you know, who's this fantastic, I mean, what a character, like he suddenly reveals her to be this Oxford educated oh, thing. So just with a couple of lines, he has this whole hinterland, you know, just so nicely done. So all the characters are very real. And when they're riding on the way to his kind of hideout, they see village women kind of stripping the corpses of kind of blonde Russian soldiers. And I just mm. find that really disturbing because mm. that's, that's just stripping corpses, however you look at it. Also, the reality that we have to sell drugs to buy weapons to fight and all yeah. that kind of thing. The, also, well, the rival warlords thing. I mean, you've got a sense of the complexity and the nastiness yeah. of regional politics. It's actually quite sensitively handled in that, in that sense. Yeah, there's a really interesting film it's made a couple of years later called Immaculate Conception 1990. It's Rambo by a Pakistani. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring in the, the high-bright yeah, examples here, if I may, the art house thing. It's made a Pakistani director, and um, it's about a British um, environment... Uh, what does he call it? He's like, he's working for their equivalent in the World Wildlife Fund, preserving birds. It's played by James Wilby. Okay. And, and it's really interesting because he befriends this um, Pakistani sort of heiress who's living in this old castle. And she's very much like the um, um, the Kamran Shah character. Is that the name of Aunt Malik's character? Yes. But you know, there's this real sense of this world of these imperial relics. You know, they're sort of princes and um, who, who were probably quite important under the Raj. And they've somehow survived in the new independent India or Pakistan. Mm. And they have this weird status and there's a kind of romantic appeal about them for visiting Brits. And I just thought it was very interesting that... Um, you know, this really captures that. It's very kind of Kipling, you know, Kim idea yeah. of the um, of the adventurer in the um, northwest frontier. I also like the way he, when he's <clears throat> when he's captured, he's putting on an accent as if he is um, no one of any status. When does he put on the accent? Uh, when he's in the cell, he's like, please, please, he's doing this voice. Or when they get out, oh yeah, reveals, yeah, yeah, Art Malik actually... is. No, I was thinking, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember Tim the Dalton putting on a Pakistani uh, Peter no. Sellers accent. No, no, no. no, 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 no. Yeah. But it's, it's an interesting capsule of uh, Armalek's career at that time. He was either playing very sophisticated men or oh, like God, he went on terrible true, true lies. lies. Yeah. yeah. I've, um, I interviewed him. We did a, an event about, well, it was sort of about race and, and drama. And we, we were showing a bit of Jewel in the Crown. And I was going to say Jewel in the Crown was his big thing. Yeah, it? and he's just such a beautiful... You know, intelligent actor. He's brilliant. And he's so I classy. just think, you know, he's done well, but but against considerable odds. Mm. He's a fine actor, and he's yeah. really rather gorgeous too. He is. He is. It's just a shame about True Lies, but then must have. Paid I think more. he's written about that too. I think you just take the money and ride the nuclear warhead, don't you? Yeah. He does ride a nuclear warhead. He no, he doesn't. He rides a missile. He gets fired out of a missile. It's a missile. Oh, oh, he says you're close? fired. <laughs> Jesus, God, that film. Yeah, it's a shame. It's it's fun, but oh, it is and it isn't. I'm just already trying to remember. There's that scene where he makes his wife 
lap dance for lap him. dance for him, and she doesn't know it's her husband. No. Oh God. Yeah. I think it's, isn't it a remake of a French film though? So I'm going to blame oh, the French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just trying to think of French, a French version of that film. Don't make me think of that. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But um, the the Bond girl in this, um, Olivia, is it Olivia Diabo? Um, Marion. Marion Diabo. I was getting mixed up. Marion Diabo. Diabo. Is that how you say it? I think it's. I say Diabo. I, I would thought just because it's D apostrophe Abba. I should Mariam Diabo. I'll say Marion. But Diabo. I like Diabo. It's like Diabolo. I like Diabo. Um. Yeah. She's she's lovely. Of course, she made a documentary about Bond girls. Did she? Did you not know that? No. She made a documentary and wrote a book to go with it called Bond Girls Are Forever. And it was a really intelligent kind of, you know, feminist take um, in a really unpretentious way where she just went and interviewed loads and loads of Bond girls about what it had been like. In in the same way that, you know, now Mark Gatiss went and did that thing with all the Dracula women. Yes. And they're all older and they've all got quite, quite interesting takes on yes, they have. the version of femininity that they're playing. In fact, mm. the one weakness I'd say in this film is the casting of the new Money Penny. Yes. Who is just dire. And even a reference to Barry Bliss. Manilow records. I'm, I feel sorry for her. She gets her bottom patted. By him? By Bond, yeah. She takes her glasses off to seem sexy. And then he puts them back on her awkwardly at a crooked angle. Turns her around and pats her on the bum. It was a different time, Smira. Well, you know what's weird is those things jar even in within the film. They do. Because you can tell it's, he's not that kind of guy. Money Penny's not supposed to be like that. Money Penny, I always say, no, money, she's not. money Penny's like somebody who works on the front desk in impotence clinic. That she's supposed <laughs> to give people the idea that they are virile <coughs> without actually going through with it. Yeah. But if we've got someone who's rampant and really wants James Bond in that, it doesn't work. The, the chemistry doesn't work in that respect. No, she's made to act as if she's desperate, and yeah. she wouldn't be. No, she wouldn't. It's, it's not supposed shame. to be that. He's supposed to be, you know. Flirting with her all the time. Also, I just think his flirting with Lewis Mac Maxwell would have been actually much more well, interesting. Dalton and Lewis Mac Lois Maxwell? Yeah. That'd been weird, There'd be a whole it? Hamlet and Gertrude thing. <laughs> Can't face those Twitter notifications? Forgot to watch anything but Netflix? Dreading the video conference small talk at nine? You need a news vitamin, you know. You need the Smart 7. It's a brand new daily podcast that puts your brain into gear. Everything you need to know in less than seven minutes. You need the smarts? Hey, we got the smarts. The Smart 7, every weekday at 7am. Available right now on Spotify and all the usual places. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Speaking of which, can I tell you? I know yeah, I should save this for... No, I'm going to save it for the end. It's when you ask mm. me what title. I've actually... I've, I've asked around and I got... Gabriel Gatehouse of Newsnight has given me a really good title and told me why. Well, I'll save it. So this podcast is technically... This episode is sponsored by the BBC. Let's put that out there. It's not. No. Just saying, you're on here and you're getting suggestions from BBC employees, so... I'm just trying to bring some... I'm just trying to get I'm trying to bring what I can bring, which is, like, some factual research. Well... Culture. I um, I Popularity. You know, that scene where he goes to her flat... Yes. And, um, and he says, I heard you at the Conservatoire. It was exquisite. Mm. Um, wasn't, though, was it? It wasn't, but... <laughs> But you could believe that he would have he would know the difference. Yeah. And this is the only Bond that I can actually imagine reading a book. Really? Just think when do you ever see Bond read a book? Like no. really reading a book. No, you don't. You could he, tell he likes classical music, he knows classical music. And I know Bond's supposed to have all these sophisticated tastes. He doesn't like the Beatles. Well, only in that, I mean. Um so the the, the ultimately fascinating contradiction of Timothy Dalton is he Works really hard to be authentic to the book Fleming does, wrote, yeah. um, the character, and yet he's actually far nicer and more sophisticated in a genuine way. And maybe it's something about how the idea of Bond has become something quite um, sad. So I don't know if you went. Did you go to that screening they did of On Her Majesty's Secret Service with George Lazenby? I was not invited. No, no I, I wasn't know. invited. But I know people who went mm. and. Apparently he came out and he went, oh, where are all the girls? And he was really disappointed because it was a room full of middle-aged and old men. And that's the thing about Bond, isn't it? Is that actually... Um, he did have clothes on when he said this, didn't he? <laughs> he didn't... He isn't, <laughs> he isn't old and confused and thought it was, was some sad, sort of orgy he, or something. He did feel a bit... He, he obviously was a bit disappointed. Um, and it's not like you've got a shortage of women who enjoy James Bond films, but there's something about the way... Men over, some some men, sorry, over-identify with the idea of him, Not like the dressing up and everything. Not all men, but yeah. some men. That I think they were all in that, some of them were in that room with him. And maybe it's like looking in a mirror and not liking what you see. I think I think he's had a bit of an epiphany with the anniversary of Her Majesty's Secret Service. See? Yeah, I think he's quite enjoyed the fact that a lot of people have come out now and said they really like it. I think for years he's had to yeah. live with people kind of laughing up their sleeve about it. Oh, George Lazenby film. Yeah. And now he's, they came out for that 50th anniversary thing. And he was, I know someone who did go to the, they did a big screening in Piz Gloria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently he was loving it. Well, I, I interviewed Catherine Shell, who was, of course, one of the Bond girls yeah. in the film. Um, and she was packing for the Piz Angels Gloria. Of death. Um, and was saying how, because she, she wanted Mark Gates to go. They'd just finished filming Dracula together. Mm. And I think she was keen to try it, but she couldn't get him a ticket. But I don't know, who could afford that? No one. Part of me wonders, you know, that's the thing about this self-selecting club of the really rich Bond fanatics must be quite a sad bunch of guys. It's like when you go to the Bond website, <clears throat> they've done a deal with this clothing line that have reproduced oh, items yeah. of clothing oh, from yeah, the like film. Oh, yeah, the terry towel blue, yeah. babe, oh. what do you call it, a play suit from um, Goldfinger? A romper suit. Oh, you wouldn't, you, I just tried to think, I can't think of, I wouldn't want to see any grown man in that now. No, Sean Connery looks bad in it. <laughs> I mean, that's. But because he's Sean Connery, you don't mind. No. He gets away with it because he doesn't. He looks like he doesn't take it seriously. No. But why would you want so to? So bad. But he, they reproduce things like that, like sweaters, cardigans, well, all sorts. I have got one of the things I will say is I'm mm. f obsessed with the idea of the, f the wardrobe of a film. So I do yeah. think 
um, Timothy Dalton is overall the best dressed Bond, but George Lazenby's wardrobe in On Merchant Secret Service, it's so outrageous and dandy yeah. that it's actually amazing. And it's comparable to um, Holly Golightly's, you know, Audrey Hepburn's and Brett's yeah. and Tiffany's, right down to the use of orange as a kind of signature colour. He's got that orange jacket that's got the round zip. The blues on jacket. It bothers me. It's very Pierre Cardin. Like I mean, Sean Connery couldn't carry that off. You know, no. Only, only someone that relates to me with that physique could. And to some extent, I think Timothy Dalton has the same physique. But also, there's that outrageous dinner shirt he wears, which with is the frills. Which has got it's like a waterfall of frills. Plus, it's yeah. really skin tight and it's see through. Mm. Which it's it's almost like a negligee of a shirt. Yeah. It doesn't feel right, and yet, and he's. But it's very 1969. It's kind of peak dandy. So I love that film partly for its. Partly because, again, because it's this interesting play on masculinity. And with this one, and I know someone pointed out about Licence to Kill, when you think this is peak, that's peak Miami Vice with yes. pastel suits and sleeves pushed up above your elbow. He holds his nerve and he says no, and it's full of navy blue shirts and chinos. Mm. And so the, the dress doesn't date, and it's the same in this. There's a lot of navy and, and cream. It's a very classy combination. Yes. I'm trying to remember what... So a capsule wardrobe of this would work. He also looks good dressed as an uh, Afghan soldier as well. Yeah, so that's the other thing. There is definitely something about what I've called imperial cosplay. Right. Which, and I don't think it's just because I'm of South Asian heritage, but it is also... There's something really cool about when you see an English guy dressed up in a Shravar Kameez doing it properly. Yeah. Which is very nice. He does look good. Yeah. He comes up with all these great variations on it yep. that work as a film score. And he does the same, I think, with Living Daylights. But I think with this one, he's mm. a bit biased because he wanted the Pretenders to do the theme. And he uses their Where Has Everybody Gone song Much mostly more. as does a melody he? in this. I'm trying to think, are there any bits where he does a variation on the living? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah there are. The, the sweeping bits where he's riding with the um, <clears throat> Afghans towards the end. So what did you think of the, pl the, the plot of this one? The defection, I really like. I thought that works really well. So Great. I think um, the fight in that sort of remote house mm. is one of the best fights in any Bond film, partly because it gives you know the world around Bond, the other agents, mm. their moment. And this idea that they're all trained to this great level. And there's a guy who's like dressed as a butler, has that really violent fight in the kitchen with his face Necros. pushed down. Yeah. Thing. And he's got the parrot, which is apparently the same parrot from Pure Eyes Only. Yeah, it's also, it's apparently it was Diana Riggs' pet parrot. <coughs> um, and its name was something like Chrome. Chrome. There's a whole section on the parrot in this book. Wow. Um, and it was her pet parrot that she had on, on Emergency Secret Service. And I don't know how it's ended up in all these films, but they liked it. Wow. So, yeah, it just gets fed in the thing. Um, people say what dates this film is like that. They have Milkman. But mm. Milkman do still exist. They do. The actor who played Necros was a really good villain because they've mimicked it later. You know, he's incredibly blonde and beautiful and vicious. And what's that film with... Um, um, is it Die Another Day with... Who's that amazing... Um, Hong Kong Hong Kong actor actress who was also in Star Trek Dis Discovery. Oh, it's um, Tomorrow Never Dies. Michelle Yu. Michelle Yu. <coughs> um, you know the the villain in that. Mm -hmm. He's kind of a similar sort of blonde, gorgeous, but evil. Hair stamper. Yeah, but he doesn't really do anything. Whereas in this one, <coughs> um, this guy is really menacing. He gets to do a load, and there's a line where he says, "Oh, I can't assassinate." Um, Pushkin, because I don't want to, I'll be recognised and I don't want to let down my comrades in the revolution. So again, mm. with a line, you get a whole hinterland. But he was really hurt because they never invited him to the 50th anniversary reunion. You know, the big Bond reunion. Oh, yeah. That's mean. He was really hurt. Now, he went and he did an interview about it. And I felt, wow. like, considering he was such a terrible, terribly good villain. Yeah, he's great. You know, you'd think, why would you not invite him? There's also these amazing publicity the photos they did of him 
dressed a bit like a monk with a hood, going around throttling some of these Bond girls. And, and none, none of it makes any sense because um, all these scenes were edited out of the film. Mm. Um, but I just thought, you know, every element of this. Look at this, look at this. Oh, wow. So these are shot scenes of sort of him in a black robe, look, with a hood, mm. throttling women in shiny bikinis and balconies as generic publicity shots, none of which were used. He was in Die Hard a year later. Oh, was he? He's okay. one of the terrorists in Die Hard, yeah. I thought it was very good. So there's one interesting um, sequence in this which is deleted, and it's very comparable to The Spy Who Loved Me, which is also a good film, which is, of course, the harem scene. So yeah. there's the whole thing around Tangier and the, um, yes. the conference. And not much... In, is in the final film, but there was obviously all these girls who were in a harem that he obviously runs through, and you just know by 1987, people didn't keep. I I don't think at least it's, I don't think it's acceptable. No. To show a load of of adult women sitting around in bikinis all day, vaguely in a in a harem scenario. Also, the magic carpet sequence, which thankfully. Well, you know, I watched that um, on YouTube. And it's actually really sweet it is, because it's on... real, and he just looks very nice. He looks uncomfortable though. He's smiling. He looks like I did Shakespeare. It's just it was a bit slow. Mm. I didn't mind it because it's obviously not flying. It's actually going down on on, on wires, aerial wires. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I just yeah. worried that they was going to pretend that he'd jumped off on a carpet and it would somehow manage to stay in the air for some mm. distance. That would be silly, but you know you never know. Also, a different Felix in this one. So the, the Felix is also a weak thing. He's, he is. He looks like. Well, weirdly, he looks like. Um, I would say Remington Steele, except he's not interesting enough. No. He just, he's pretty and bland. He looks like a male model. Yeah. And he was Hawk the Slayer. Was he? Yeah. John Terry. He doesn't have much to do. No, he's not great in this. Just feel like they, they felt like they wanted to introduce new elements because we've got a new Bond. So we've got a new Money Penny. We've got a new well, Felix. The other thing is, I mean, the, the making of has this really detailed plot summary of the original script. Right. And it's a lot more. Rapey dodgy. Is it? Yeah, because that's one of, the, one of the reasons this film is also quite nice is there's very little sexual violence. No. Um, but there's a whole thing where, the, you know, the two assistants, Felix Leiter, get kidnapped and he finds them naked and tied up in a cupboard. And you just think, what? Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's not good. No. no. Thankfully, we don't get that. But the only, the only kind of... Um, I suppose you could say that Bond is slightly deceiving... Um, I forgot her name again. Miriam Diabo. Cara. Cara. She has a real name as well. She doesn't have like a weird. Yes, she's not called like Wellies. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, he's deceiving her though because <laughs> it's, it's very um, it's proper spy stuff, isn't it? Yeah, he's, no, well, I think that's what feels. He's really saying he's a friend of Georgie's and taking well, have her you seen or read uh, a spy who came in from the cold? I've seen the film. Yeah, I've seen the yeah. film. Because um, doesn't he do the same? Mm. The, um, the Richard Burton character kind of deceives Claire Bloom. Yes, um, with his own agenda. And she suffers terribly. Sorry, sorry, spoiler. But I think it, it does feel very much more like a John le Carre in that sense of, um, you know, she's she's of use to him. Mm. The other thing, which is a really lovely relationship, is his whole relationship with Saunders. Oh, I love that. You know, he's, you know, the kind of Jobsworth who's been, um, who actually comes to respect Bond. And then and then there's a real sense of anger when he dies. I mean, you, that's again, I just think Timothy Todd's such a great actor. Mm, the way and he pops that balloon is so good. Oh, yeah. Livid. The balloon that just floats by. And then just after when he jumps, he sees the balloons and he thinks, oh, that's the guy. And Mm. he jumps and he pulls out his gun. And and that sense of shock when he's terrified this mother and child. The film seems somehow rooted in a real world in which this guy is an aberration. Mm. And ordinary people would be freaking out if someone was running around with a gun. Especially just running away from the scene where a man's been dropped in half. 
Yeah. And also, you know, again, going back to the thing about Timothy Dalton doesn't have fun in this film. Mm. When he takes Cara to the fun fair, you know, they've, they, they're in black tie, they've just been at a, the opera, and he says, mm. you know, actually, we're just going to ride the bumper cars and uh, uh, for a couple of hours. And they're having a really good time just going on the rides. But then he takes, doesn't he pay to take her to the top of the fun fair? Get it stopped. Do you think he deliberately got it stopped? I thought that was the implication. Uh, he said he did, but I didn't think he did. Oh, okay. So that's a bit dodgy, isn't it? Seducing a, a young lady under false pretenses. Yeah, but she's very willing. It's that whole thing where she's like, I can't believe it's only been two days. Because again, again, it's a reference to the fact it's happening so fast. But isn't she and her in relationship, love with Georgi? Well, her relationship with Georgi, I think, again, you, you know, you sense it's, it's a very difficult... You know, she's obviously very young. She's, what, in her... 20s yeah. mid 20s maybe and he's much older mm. um and he's bought her the cello it's obviously a much more maybe predatory is the wrong word but it's a much more transactional relationship I suppose now you would talk about it as a sugar daddy relationship where you have mm. these university students who are having relationships with older men for money and even if she thinks he loves them she thinks she likes him i, th I think again People don't have a memory of what the Cold War was like and what life behind the Iron Curtain was like. Might not appreciate that people made all kinds of compromised decisions based on just trying to have... Like, if you know, if you are an amazing cellist mm. and you really want a career and having favours from the regime makes all the difference to whether you'll... I, I sort of feel I like the fact that there's a bit of moral ambivalence. You can tell she's made some ethically questionable decisions. She's not that high, you know, high-minded. And very naive as well. Yeah, and that's where, again, it's also slightly uncomfortable because she's younger and she's naive. But I think the fact that she's genuinely talented. Mm. And she gets, I actually counted the things she gets to do in this film. She gets to ride a horse back, you know. Yeah. She's the one who pulls out the gun and, and says, look, why are you abandoning him? I'm going after James Bond to rescue him when yes. he's taken off in the van. She gets to drive that Jeep and kind of fight off all those men trying to pull her off it. Mm -hmm. And she has to fly a plane. Yeah. And I think that's quite a lot um, of quite impressive stuff although again if in the original draft there's all these jokes about her being a terrible driver and that then she, she flies the plane badly and so I'm quite glad a lot yes. of that got taken out that would have been quite boring considering this is a film kind of written without any real regard for feminism it's interesting how feminist it is because it was much more normal then he does throw some looks at the end though that basically where he's basically calling her a silly cow quite a few times which is annoying. Oh, when she's nearly crashed the plane and stuff. Yeah, he, he's saying, go out the back, go out the back, and she doesn't know, and he gives her that. But she does work it out. Yeah. She drives the Jeep up onto a moving plane. Yeah. She wins. I'm just saying that Bond is... Oh, no, I liked it. I thought it was like that sense that you're getting, they, they've learnt to understand each other. She's mm. picked it up fast. And that's end of part one of this episode of Smirshpod. We'll be back later in the week with part two. So please stick around. But in the meantime, why not like, subscribe, review, enjoy, share, tell everybody you like. And, you know, why not even buy Thunderbook? Hey, why not? See you next time.
Oh, hello you. My name's Tom Price. Hello, I'm Dave Cribb. You should come and join us. Every day we do a podcast called Cabin Fever, where we talk to loads of comedians who've had to cancel everything else in their lives. So they come on our podcast instead, don't they, Dave? Yeah, it's an isolation podcast. Uh, Dave, were you yawning at the start of that sentence then? Was it just a little yawn? Yeah, it's basically the Great Big Owl isolation podcast. We'll have people on from all our podcasts, from your Rule of Threes, your Brian and Rogers, your musicals, your bitchins. If you like any of our podcasts, if you like any of those people, chances are they'll be logging onto the Zoom call and just chatting because, let's face it, they got nothing else to do. Also, there'll be a quiz on the bill. All right, see you soon. Lots of love. Cabin F-E-A-3709. Oh, 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 that's our Twitter name. Great Big Owl. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.